Hello everyone and welcome to the somewhat delayed 10th episode of the Guelo Ramblings World Tour podcast. My name is Stephen Palmer and you might know me from being the co-host of the Asian Cinema Film Club podcast with Mr Elwood Jones or maybe my writing for easternkicks.com or maybe from my Asian Cinema blog guelo-ramblings.wordpress.com which of course is where this podcast gets its name. If you want to know more about who I am and how we got here, I suggest you go back and listen to the first episode and then come back when you're all up to speed or just stay and wing it. Either way, you are quite welcome. Now last time we went to the Czech Republic and looked at two films that were linked merely by having two characters called Otik in them. And just to give you a little heads up, I will be returning to Czech cinema very soon. Now I know I promised a trip to South America in this episode, but fundamentally I have been somewhat preoccupied with my real world, you know, paid job, and have not quite got that particular episode in any shape to produce yet. However, after watching one of this episode's films, I really wanted to talk about it whilst my thoughts had clarity, and so I'll be popping up to Northern Europe again, this time to Norway. The link this time are just two stylistic choices that I think can usually be a little polarising, but in these cases manage to justify themselves. In the first film, Atoya, 22nd of July, Eric Poppe utilises the illusion of a single take film. Now you might remember back in episode 8 we saw a similar use in the film Russian Ark, although Atoya uses it in a completely different way to a totally different effect. I've always felt that the extended single shot doesn't always add much to a movie other than an onanistic attempt for the director to show off. For example, Hitchcock used it in Rope as a gimmick that made up for the fact he was just filming a script that was made for the theatrical stage. Obviously at that time film technology meant you could necessarily see the joins as 10 minutes was the absolute limit of what could be achieved with a single camera in its film. Sure, there's been plenty of examples of great extended single shots. Altman's opening to the player and Wells's touch of evil are both most memorable for their clever extended continuous shot openings. But modern digital cameras mean that in theory there is no limit to what could be achieved, assuming matters of logistics and continued viewer interest can be overcome. Russian Ark used this method to bring multiple eras to life in a single connected setting and it was brilliantly executed. Atoya, 22nd of July? Well, that used the method in a much less flashy, but more personal way. Our second film uses the conceit of found footage to create a supposed documentary, and in this case, a mockumentary. Whilst The Blair Witch Project was not the first film to take this idea of creating a movie from what is supposed to be left behind footage from a lost documentary crew, it is probably the most successful in terms of box office and world renown, and is also guilty of inspiring far too many imitators. And yes, I don't really see that as a good thing, as it often makes for a fairly unsatisfactory viewing experience with its weak and limited plots and amateur acting being hidden amongst shaky cam footage and plot holes you could drive a tank through. However, there are other things about Blair Witch Project. Hmm. Now that is a movie I might talk about in a special episode one day. However, 
this time I'm going to look at Andre Ovredal's Troll Hunter, which I believe manages to use the form to good effect. Norwegian cinema might not be the international heavyweight that is as well known or regarded as its Scandinavian neighbour Sweden, and nor can it boast too many household names, but there is a healthy breeding ground for good cinema, and of course in the world of binge-watching television, it has recently apparently given us the whole Nordic Noir subgenre. Although, obviously, that isn't technically a great title, as many of these shows are from other non-Nordic countries. Anyway, let's get to our first film. On the 22nd of July, 2011, Norway suffered probably its worst day since World War II. A right-wing extremist called Anders Bering Breivik set off a car bomb in Oslo near government buildings. Eight people died because of the blast and a further 209 were injured. He then went to the island of Utøya, where a youth summer camp hosted by the youth wing of the ruling Labour Party was going on and spent 72 minutes indiscriminately massacring attendees. By the time he had finally been stopped, he had killed 69 further people, injured another 110, and at least half of those seriously. These heinous acts have obviously affected the people of Norway greatly, unsurprising when it is estimated that one in four Norwegians knew somebody affected by these two attacks. Much soul-searching and recrimination have gone on in the last eight years within Norway in how the country dealt with both the incidents contemporaneously and how exactly they should be memorialising the victims. Now, by one of those strange cinematic coincidences, 2018 saw not one, but two films focused on the incidents. Paul Greengrass's Netflix-distributed 22nd July takes a wider dramatic look at events and the true stories of the perpetrator and the victims. Our film today, Eric Poppe's Atoya, 22nd July, takes a somewhat more immersive approach. The film is constructed to appear as a 90-minute or so single shot, following mostly the character of 18-year-old Kaya, played by Andrea Bernstein. Kaya is at the camp with her younger sister, Emily. The film spends the first 10 minutes or so setting up a number of relationships with Kaya, giving us insight to what sort of person she is, what her friends at the camp are like. Clearly her sister isn't really there for a political discussion, and there is clearly a tension between the pair. And it seems there are a wide variety of young people that have attended the camp, and it's notable that Poppe makes sure we realise that Norway is not a 100% white society. She has black, Arab and Indian friends. And these are young people on the whole, between 14 and 25. Some are politically motivated, of course, hence the nature of the camp, but others are there for more of the fun activities. This is just a chance to spend a week or a weekend in the summer having some fun. And then the shooting starts. The chaos starts. Kaya never really knows or learns what is going on, so we follow her journey for the next 72 minutes. 
We start with safety in numbers, but that's thrown away and she leaps to different small groups and sometimes individuals, driven on to find her sister, whom she has no idea where she is or if she's even in any danger at all or indeed worse. The conceit of that single continuous shot here works because it puts us directly into the scenario. The time we spend in the film is the time those at Atoya really experienced. We never learn what is truly going on. The film has no score, only the constant sound of gunshots, some distant, some far. We barely see the violence, usually only the after effects when Kaya stumbles upon the injured, and the dead, and the dying. Anders bearing Abrevik appears just the once towards the end of the film, but he is nothing more than a dark silhouette. Because this film isn't about him. It's about the victims. It's about young children and young adults who go through an horrific situation, and a generation of young Norwegians that have been filled with hopes and dreams and aspirations, some big, some small, that have them cruelly torn away from them. This isn't a film where I desensitise view of violence makes this a form of entertainment. It is visceral and shocking and frightening. And whilst this film is very closely aligned to what actually happened, and it indeed it draws extensively on the eyewitness accounts of survivors, with some of them actually being present during the filming process, these are fictional characters that are reenacting the real events. Kaya is not based on an actual victim of the attacks, she's more of an amalgam. I personally think this was the right way to go. Things are still too raw to go for a more documentary style approach. In fact, this is something that made me quite angry. I was really annoyed with the unattributed quote on top of the DVD. It says, post-apocalyptic dystopia with Kaya, a real-life Katniss Everdeen. Everything about this quote is wrong. It's not only a, not a fake cinematic future dystopia. This isn't the Hunger Games. But Kaya is a character, not a real person. I feel this one thing does a disservice to the film and to the story of those it's attempting to tell. In my opinion, Atoya, 22nd July, is required viewing for everybody. Not only because of the technical conceit of the continuous shot working so well in conveying the horrific real-life incident, but it shows you the real impact of gun violence and the dangers of extremist views and those who feel empowered to act upon them. Our second film is a much lighter affair. After the obligatory preamble, which suggests the film was cut together from hours of footage found from a missing student documentary crew, we follow this team of three students from Volda University as they try and track down a mysterious individual who appears to be killing bears without a government-sanctioned license. They eventually track him down, but the man called Hans rejects their overtures. This doesn't put them off and they continue to track him. And the cat and mouse eventually ends when Hans runs back at them in the middle of the night from the woods, screaming, TROLL! Because it turns out that Hans isn't shooting bears at all. 
He's actually the single government employed troll hunter. That's right, the trolls of Norwegian myth turn out to be real. The same trolls from the tale of the three billy goats gruff, the same trolls that inspired Edvard Grieg's Hall of the Mountain King music from the play Peer Gint. And yes, the same trolls that you might have on your sideboard or dashboard with that crazy multicoloured hair. And they've been getting out of hand recently. And Hans has decided, like Danny Glover, that he's basically too old for this shit and sees the documentary as a way of maybe finally getting the truth out there. The cast of this film are basically a collection of well-known, well, in Norway at least, comedians, having a little fun, using the concept that trolls are real to have little pokes at Norwegian life and culture. Of course, it has a little fun with the tropes of the troll mythology, smartly drawing together four different types of troll to basically work out inconsistencies with the various historical uses of what a troll might be. It's probably more interested in satirising governmental bureaucracy. Religion gets its turn in the crosshairs too. One character is in more danger because they are a practising Christian, because, you know, trolls can smell the blood of a Christian man. But another happens to be a Muslim, it's utterly outside of Hans's experience to know even what might happen there. Obviously the found footage approach helps hide a micro-budget, but the limited CGI on offer to show off the trolls when discovered is actually pretty convincing. They are weird and strange looking, and my word are they big. I'm not sure one could really call this a horror film, not even a comedy horror, but there are moments of genuine tension in it, and things do actually get a little dark in tone. Unsurprising, I suppose, when these films somewhat rely on the film crew going missing before the films even started. Look, to be perfectly frank, I do tend to find these sorts of movies, found footage pseudo-documentaries, a bit of a bore. And this one is far from perfect. It's easily 20 minutes too long, and certainly takes far too much time in the setup. We don't even get to see a troll until 30 minutes in. But it's a movie I find utterly charming, and it just feels perfectly Norwegian. There was once talk of a Hollywood remake, but I have zero idea how that would have even worked, so I'm really glad it never happened. <laughs> So there we have it, two Norwegian films I think are worthy of your time. Troll Hunter is more of a fun diversion, but there's enough going for it that makes it stand out in the somewhat tired found footage fake documentary field. Atoya, 22nd July, however, is a really important film, not just for the healing of the Norwegian psyche, but as a warning to us all as right-wing extremism takes an even more worrying grip on the Western world. You should now be able to find the page of the podcast on Facebook. Just search for Guelo Ramblings World Tour or take a look in the episode description. If you want to contact the show, give feedback or maybe tell me about your favourite Norwegian films or suggest something for a future episode, feel free to contact me there or via email on thingsfallapart at hotmail.co.uk for now. And please feel free to give me a review, share episodes with people you think might like this. I'm not here for large numbers of subscribers, but I do like to know I'm not just talking to myself. 
I have also started to make a proper website for the podcast, but I'm struggling to find time to get uh, that set up properly. But hopefully by the next full episode, I'll have cracked that nut. Oh, and if you use Anchor to listen to the podcast, feel free to use the audio comment feature. Might be an easy way of getting your voice heard. Next time, well, for our 11th episode, let's stay a little while longer in Norway. We'll be picking up two more fairly modern Norwegian films. Consider this an extended summer break in the cruise up into the fjords. Until then, dear listener, it's hallo, tak skal du ha, og hadet. Thank you.